This is Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division. He's been the sheriff of a one-officer, you know, police force. Him. Right. Right. Him. I mean, he's not even Andy Taylor. He doesn't even have Barney Five. He is Barney Five. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Hi, this is Evelyn Lopez. Welcome to this week's Crossing Division. This week, I wanted to follow back up with Joe Lopez, who luckily is conveniently located in my own household, um, to talk about um, final election thoughts, both state and national, and then also to follow up a little bit on what's happening with the Pierce County Council's um, proposed ordinance that would effectively disband the Tacoma Pierce County Health Department. So welcome, Joe Lopez. Thank you. Good to be here. And we'll start by talking about the elections. And let me start, um, how to put this in context. So we have had, uh, as a country, numerous lawsuits filed on behalf of the Trump campaign with various theories of why they should be able to overturn the election results. All of those lawsuits have failed. What is now sort of a last ditch effort, but in many ways the most interesting is a lawsuit by a number of states led by the state of Texas going to the U.S. Supreme Court to say, U.S. Supreme Court, we, these states uh, following Texas, really have an issue with how some other states like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania have run their elections. So we're asking you, Supreme Court, to throw them out because we don't like them. What's interesting is that uh, now we have, I think, 22 some attorneys general from other states. We really have, you know, so the red states are saying, throw it all out. The blue states, the Democratic uh, attorneys general, have now come forward to say, we would like to file an amicus brief. And we have filed an amicus brief saying, oh, I don't think so. Uh, states get to decide how they do their elections. These states have done so. And Texas, you don't have any standing in this need to butt the heck out. What's interesting now is we also have 106 Republican Congress members, including from our state, Kathy McMorris Rogers and uh, Dan Newsom. Is it Newsom or Newcom? Anyway, over in the uh, central Washington area, just left my brain for a moment. They signed this letter. So, so two Republican Washington state Congress people have signed this letter asking the Supreme Court to overturn other states' elections, which I think is a real slap in the face to our Secretary of State, uh, Kim Wyman, who's also a Republican, but that's rather beside the point. So with all of this going on, it kind of sets the context for things are not peaceful. This is supposed to be a peaceful transition, and it's not. What Joe's been doing is Joe's been looking at the Lauren Culp campaign, because uh, Mr. Culp has also said that he would file a lawsuit or that he has filed a lawsuit or would be filed. Has he, has he, has he filed? I don't think so. I, I, I saw something that 
what was his name, Gergen, his campaign manager, uh, I thought indicated that they had filed something or maybe that it was imminent. Though so they've never, interestingly enough, they've, they've never come forward with anything to indicate what the basis of the lawsuit might be or what sort of evidence the lawsuit might be based on. You know, it, it's just been this vague threat, which they somehow view, expect us to view as ominous that they're going to file this lawsuit, but it, it's difficult to see where this is going to go since the state has already certified its election weeks ago. We're now past the federal safe harbor for certifications by states, and the Electoral College votes on the 14th, which is Monday, Tuesday? Monday. But interesting, you should ask. I just looked up a Twitter, and Jim Brunner has a tweet as of. Uh, 16 minutes ago, uh, retweeting Austin Jenkins from 19 minutes ago, saying a Republican, Republican candidate for Governor Lauren Culp lost by more than half a million votes in November, but his campaign has now filed a lawsuit against Secretary of State Kim Wyman demanding an audit of results in six Washington counties. And uh, let me pull up this lawsuit. It's in filing King County, which is odd. He should have filed it in Thurston County, I would think, but he's filed it in King County. Uh, it is a complaint for injunctive relief and demand for audit of the paper ballots, vote counting machines, and voting results in King, Clark, Thurston, Pierce, Kitsap, and Skagit counties. So... I don't have time to go through this and still talk at the same time. So uh, why don't, Joe, why don't you talk about why you started looking at Lauren Culp's campaign and sort of um, why you think it needs more attention than maybe we've been giving it? Well, I was just, it initially started when he uh, announced that he was going to be seeking contributions to fund this lawsuit. And I began to wonder, you know, who would, donate to something like that and why. So I decided to take a look at who had donated money to his gubernatorial campaign. So I pulled all of that off the PDC website and put it into Excel, and I started to sift and sort through it. Um, I was very surprised to find the degree to which this was a campaign that was funded almost exclusively by individuals. There's very little in the way of corporate donations to the campaign, very little in the way of, you know, organizations donating. I think um, Washington State Republicans gave $160,000 and, uh, let's see, I think it's Skagit County Republicans gave him about 5000 Almost all of this was money from individuals, mostly individuals who are outside Seattle, Tacoma, if they are on the west side of the state, they're in places like Shelton. Um, no names who jump out as traditional donors, big donors to Republican campaigns. This was really, you know, a grassroots campaign. He raised about $3,200,000. And that's a lot. It is a lot of money. But what really struck me as I was going through was most of these people 
would not be people you would ordinarily expect to be donating money. And I began to think, I don't really know that we have a very good way of coming to grips with the people, the kind of people, and the numbers of people who support the kind of anti-government, populist, Trumpian viewpoint. And we always, as a result, I think, end up being surprised that there are as many people who support this sort of thing that they support it as fervently as they do. I just don't think we know who they are, what motivates them, or even really in terms of polling, get much of a sense of how many of these people are out there. And then when I took a look at the election results, I was startled to find that in this race, Culp got just about 1,750,000 votes. And then I started going back through earlier Washington gubernatorial races, and I discovered that going straight back to 2004, Culp got more votes than any Republican gubernatorial candidate. That's pretty amazing. Well, and uh, like it or not, at least among Republicans, he is an enormously popular candidate. He had some sort of message that resonated with him. Now, before I go any further with this, let's put this in some kind of context. You know, in 2004, Dino Rossi, this was the race where Rossi and Gregoire split the vote just literally down the middle, 50-50. He got 1,373,000 votes. Culp this time got 1,749,000 votes, significantly more. Now, of course, in 2004, Rossi got 52% of 50% of the vote. This time around, Culp got 43.12. So while right. it is a large number numerically in terms of you know portion of the state, it's not very big. But we've tended to try to dismiss him as just sort of a right wing, not a fringe candidate who somehow snuck past the primary. But this guy has a message that really resonated with state Republicans. I mean, the numbers are just there. What do you and think? I don't, I don't really think we know. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, those of us in the blue bubble, I think we're always surprised by how, you know, popular this kind of message really is. And I think we have a tendency to downplay it and underestimate it. And, you know, then we end up, you know, both times with Trump. I think we were surprised in 2016 when he won. And then this time, I think we were surprised when polls closed on uh, election night. It wasn't suddenly a blowout for Biden. The race actually took days to resolve. Right. Well, I think I think this is important. So um, right after it was apparent that Biden was winning, we started to see uh, news media and pundits saying, well, it's going to be very important for the Biden people to reach out to the Republicans to sort of, you know, make sure they know, you know, that the door is open and we can maybe, you know, have a, a uh, an effort to, you know, mend these separations. And I have to tell you, at the time, I thought, well, no, I don't think so. I don't think that's necessary at all. And certainly no one was reaching out to uh, Clinton supporters four years ago. Thank you very much. And I still think that, but here's the thing. There is something there, you know, so you see 1.7 million Washington residents 
voting for Lauren Culp. Lauren Culp, who who was really not an appropriate uh, appropriately qualified candidate for governor, if you look at things like you know has he run a large organization, has he supervised people, has he worked you know anywhere where he's needed to have a good relationship with legislators? No, he, no. he he's been the sheriff of a one officer, you know, police force. Him, right, right, him. I mean, so, he's not even Andy Taylor. He doesn't even have Barney Five. He is Barney Five. He is. Yes, he is Barney Five. So here's the thing, though. Initially, he started getting press coverage a few years ago when after the um, you know, gun safety initiatives passed, he declared that he would not be enforcing those new gun laws in, in his city of Republic, Washington. And everyone, you know, met that with huge fanfare. He was lauded by a lot of the, um, you know, gun rights, uh, gun advocacy groups. But that was it. But it's more than guns now. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't I, I don't think that just being pro-gun gets you, you know, 1.7 million votes. Mm-hmm. Um, but but and, what does? Know, uh, that's, I think, the question we need to really crack into. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and because it, I, I think that his support was a lot more broad-based electorally than than you would ordinarily expect a candidate of his ilk. I think so too. Oh, yeah. So, but but what might it be? You know, I think that there were a lot of us who thought, well, are people really voting for Culp or are they voting against Jay Inslee? Is this people being upset with the schools are closed? I don't want to wear masks. I, you know, I hate government. I think you've got probably a lot of that. I think there are a lot of people who don't like Inslee. I think there are probably a fair number of people who think, even though there's no term limit on this, I think there are a fair number of people who think that a third term for a governor is inappropriate. I think there are people who like the gun stuff. I think there are people who are upset with school closings and lockdowns and mask requirements. I think they think that's government overreach. Um, you know, I, I think that there are a lot of, of that all plays in here, but it's all part and parcel of an ideology that increasingly is very popular nationwide. Exactly. And this is what I think is important is that it's not so much, you know, finding common ground or, you know, reaching across the aisle or any of that, but rather try to figure out what is going on with this hot lava stream of anger that's running through there that Trump tapped into. I mean, Trump was sort of the embodiment of um, just anger, screaming, spitting, spewing, insulting anger. And a lot of people responded to that. So, I mean, what is it? And it's not that you can, you can't really necessarily even fix it. It's more that you need to know it's there and what to do about it. And the reason you need to really do some thought on this, and I say that to people out there who are sort of professional thinkers, it's having an effect. Two Washington Congress members signing up to support a case that is basically saying other states and other people should not be allowed to vote and I'd like to rip their vote away from them. Two Washington Congress people saying that. Uh, the Spokane office for the uh, Spokane County Democrats, just like our Pierce County Democrats, they have their um, office in a building that houses numerous labor unions. 
they had a guy show up there the other day. And by the other day, I mean, like, uh, I think it was the day before yesterday. Coming in, there were two women in there volunteering, uh, doing some post-election cleanup. And he just said, I, you know, handed them a note. I have a bomb and I have a manifesto that I want you to share with everyone. And they were able to sort of calm him down. Someone from one of the unions came in and also talked to him. So the women were able to sort of exit out the back and leave. They notified the police. The police came. The guy, I don't know whether he did have a bomb, but he did set a fire in the office that's caused considerable damage. But I mean, that's a big deal that people are motivated enough by this anger to go into uh, any political party office and and start a fire, threaten people. It it isn't just political parties. I mean, there have been death threats against uh, Georgia state election officials after the uh, state of Georgia certified the vote acknowledging that Biden won the state. Mm -hmm. So this is tapped into something that's a real gut level um, thing. One of the things that I was noticing on um, Rick Hazen's election blog that I thought was really notable, he had um, some quotes yesterday from an article um, by Adam Serwer in The Atlantic. And, And this was talking about, you know, what's really going on here? Uh, behind all of this activity, the anger and all of these lawsuits. And, and uh, Sewer concluded that um, uh, to Trump's strongest supporters, Biden's win is a fraud because his voters should not count to begin with. And because the Democratic Party is not a legitimate political institution that should be allowed to wield power, even if they did. This is why the authoritarian remedies festering in the Trump fever swamps, martial law, the usurpation of state electors, Supreme Court fiat, are so openly contemplated because the true will of the people is that Trump remain president, according to them. Forcing forcing that outcome, even in the face of defeat, is a fulfillment of democracy rather than than its betrayal. And they they just... he focuses on the fact that it's no accident that the Trump campaign's claims of fraud have focused almost entirely on jurisdictions with high black populations. Oh yeah, it's, it's Detroit, it's Atlanta. Yeah, and, and what's really happening here is, um, he says, uh, you know, they need to find a foothold, even if their allegations are so baseless. The necessary ingredient is not actual voter fraud, but democratic victory. According to a 2020 survey by the political scientist Larry Bartels, three quarters of Republican voters believe that, quote, it is hard to trust the results of elections when so many people will vote for anyone who offers a handout. Because Republicans believe, as Mitt Romney put it after his defeat in 2012, that black people vote for Democrats only because they are offered free stuff. Black votes are considered illegitimate, even if they're legally cast. Now, if more of them voted for Republicans, that might change that. But right now, the 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 premise is the well, what they're and, really saying is you mm-hmm. you'll notice that uh, it's only states that Trump lost that have election counting systems that are deeply flawed. Right, right. The other systems that are the same in other states are fine. Yeah. Well, they're also in some states perfectly fine for the down ballot races where Republicans won, but somehow fatally flawed for the presidential race on the ticket. But I think this is really important. So what we're seeing is tapping into, you know, a deep, deep,
deeply held racial racist beliefs that basically black people, brown people, people who are not white, people who do not look like I look, the person thinks really something's wrong here. They shouldn't be able to vote. There's something, you know, there's, there's a, there's a real baseline antipathy towards this idea of openness, equality, diversity. And I think that Trump has really effectively tapped into it, but it's there. It was there four years ago. Well, I, I think he's now. really tapped into it. I think he's fed it. He's fed it with a lot of language about uh, immigration and immigrants where we've, you know, demonized the the Hispanic Latino population of the country, particularly down south along the border. Uh, he is always characterizing cities with large black populations. They're their hell holes, their crime infested mm-hmm. swamps and, and things like that. But that answers a need for, you know, most of his supporters tend to be in red states that don't have large rural areas, that don't have large urban areas. Um, you know, it's really helped to cleave the country into two. It's not just, you know, red and blue. It's It's a country that's now really at war one half with the other half of it. Mm -hmm. And so in Washington State... It's not even Republican and and Democrat, because in this election contest and in the the zeal to overturn the election, it's Republicans turning on Republicans. You know, where Republican secretaries of state have certified a vote, uh, other Republicans in the state are now vilifying those Republican mm-hmm. officials. So it's it's not even along party lines anymore. But I think the thing is, is that um, we, me, have tended to think that things are not as bad in Washington state. And I think that's where the cult election shows me they but There's are. a lot more support for this type of worldview in this state than we thought. But let's, let's, pull in even closer, not just look at the state. Let's look at Pierce County. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas in the state as a whole, Inslee pulled 56.56% to Culp's 43.12%. In Pierce County, Inslee got only 51.68% and Culp just got under 48%. Yeah, so that's much closer. So the results are a lot closer in Pierce County than they were statewide. And my guess is, and I haven't taken a look at this, but I would tend to suspect that if you were to factor out Inslee votes within the city of Tacoma, you may well find that Culp may have taken the rest of Pierce County, or at least that the margin narrows considerably. Um, and so, you know, I, I think Pierce County, we are a very red county with the, with the exception of Tacoma, maybe after this, uh, this last election, uh, UP. Yeah. So I'm looking at this um, injunction lawsuit that Culp's campaign filed in King County today. And the remedy he's seeking is a preliminary and permanent injunction. So an injunction is 
you you get to stop something from happening. Um, and you have to show that you're very likely to win your case in order to get the court to issue an injunction. I don't think he can do it. But what he wants, late. I think he's too late, number one. But what, so what he says, he wants to enjoin the certification certification of the Secretary of State of the general election of November 3rd, 2020. And this is interesting because he already has certified it. Yeah. From having any legal effect. So enjoin the certification from having any legal effect pending an audit by a forensic auditor and enjoining the Secretary of State from destroying or altering any portion of the election information, including without limitation, I think lists, you know, software, firmware. Well, um, but in, in order, et cetera, et cetera. even if there were the hint of something behind this suit, the threshold question that Culp and his people now need to answer is, why did this only get filed on December 11th? Right. You know, on the basis of an election that took place on November 3rd, mm-hmm. why, I think Washington certified the vote on November I think 22nd. The uh, maybe it was that. I uh, think I remember it, people it's, saying. It's been that, a while. It's difficult to see what information he is in possession of on December 11th that he wasn't in possession of before the Secretary of State certified the election. And why thus this wasn't brought back then, when potentially it could have had some effect. Right now, the Electoral College votes on Monday. Right. But if you look at his uh, contributions, Culp's contributions on the PDC website, you will see that he's received um, hundreds of contributions after the election. Yeah. Hundreds. He, he's got a real fan base out there. Yeah. Um, you know, it may not be tens of millions of dollars, but he's able to raise millions of dollars. Yeah. And I think you see this bearing out. So yesterday, um, Bob Ferguson had a tweet saying, you know, we, I've joined with 22 other um, attorneys general to file an amicus against the Texas Trump case in front of the Supreme Court. And I looked at the comments and certainly there were a number of comments saying, thanks, Bob. Good. That's good to hear. There were far more comments that were saying, you know, you should be on the other side. You know, this is all about having a fair election. You know, you're owned by China, you know, on and on and on. So, I mean, there's just, and I know, you know, some people have bemoaned sort of the, the lack of, uh, I don't know, the lack of politeness, the discord, so much more. But I don't care so much about that. I mean, that's social media and that's human engagement. But there's, a again, this deep thread, this deep hot lava stream of anger and hatred. And it's going to keep boiling up and boiling up and boiling up. And I don't know as a, you know, let's say as a society, as people in Washington state, and I don't try to even want to control the rest of the country, but in Washington state, why do we have this? What is it? And is there anything we can do about it? Well, I I think that we're probably to a greater degree than we realize. I think where we are a state that's one portion of it is at war with another, um, We've traditionally thought of it breaking down in terms of East and West, and 
in large part, I think that's that's probably still true. But I think that uh, you know, if you take a look at Western Washington, and you take a look at people who are donating money to you know the cult campaign and the cult message, um, I think that message resonates with a a good number of people now on the, on the Western side as well. Yeah, uh, you know what you know keeps the state reliably blue. If, you know, you have to take a look at King County, which is the major population center of the state. And in King County, you know, Jay Inslee pulled of every four votes, he pulled three of them. Right. That's a significant win. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that's going to keep that's going to keep the state reliably blue into the future. I don't know who the Republican candidate will be next time around, but um I suspect he's going to look a lot more like Lauren Culp than he or she uh, would look like somebody like, uh, you know, Dino Rossi or uh, or Rob McKenna. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Well, I hope I hope that there's some political scientists out there at one of our universities that might be studying this. I mean, I will say it's easy enough. I mean, the, the PDC website has all the names and addresses of the people who gave to that campaign including the names and addresses of people who gave to that campaign after the election. So it wouldn't be that hard to enter that information into a you know, spreadsheet and send them all a brief survey asking sort of for their thoughts on government and Washington and, you know, why they were, um, you know. Yeah, I, I think the one issue you're going to face there, though, is I think these tend to be people who don't trust polls and surveys yeah. And don't respond. And I think that they're very difficult to get hold of. I think it's very difficult to really assess how many people, you know, support these kinds of policies and these candidates. You know, the PDC database gives you some sense, but it doesn't really give you a sense of, you know, who actually is voting for this stuff mm-hmm. you know, out there statewide. And I think we have a real difficulty in in terms of coming to grips with this sort of a really right-wing, insurgent, anti-government type of, of candidate and message. I think we have a tendency to undercount it. I think we have a tendency to underestimate it. I think we have a tendency to try to convince ourselves that it's some kind of momentary blip. It's related to Trump, and it will pass when Trump is gone. Um, I don't necessarily think that's true. You know, it's interesting that you say that because yesterday um, someone had tweeted, I think it was Jim Brunner from the Seattle Times had tweeted about Lauren Culp's campaign saying they were about to file a lawsuit. And um, Brunner had then, you know, shown sort of the vote disparities between uh, Culp and Inslee. And it was, you know, it's 545,000. Yeah, it's a number significant. But what was interesting was one of our local Democrats, someone who's very active in local activities, had commented you know, I was just talking to a friend the other day and I said the Republican Party has been set back years by this by this guy. And I just think, I don't know. I mean, I think that I think that the Democrats tend to want to find an easy answer. I want to find an easy answer. I want to try to, find, you know, is it guns? Is it racism? Is it anti-government? Is it just Jay Inslee? Is it the coronavirus? The truth is, we don't know what it is. I don't yeah, know what it is. I, I somebody recently, uh, a local on Twitter, and I forget who it was, 
uh, but they were discussing J.T. Wilcox, who's the Senate Minority Leader for the Republicans, and House Lauren, Minority, yeah, and uh, Lauren Culp, and mm-hmm. said, you know. I think that at the end of this election, it's time to conclude that the Washington State Republican Party is now a lot closer to Lauren Culp than it is to J.T. Wilcox. And I think that's probably true. And in fact, if you you know look through some newspaper articles about Culp and his campaign manager over the last month or so, they've been taking all sorts of pot shots at, uh, at Wilcox. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. there's, there's, there's a bit of a fight going on for the uh, hearts and minds of... Uh, of the state Republicans. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a break there and then we'll come back and talk about Pierce County Council because that's also kind of a a hearts and minds of Republicans story. This is Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, We Art Tacoma. Words mean things. That's what Pacific Lutheran University challenges me and you to think about in our everyday speech. When I speak to you or a guest over the podcast, the words I choose have impact, either positive or negative. Words have history, and when we choose to use them, we have to own their meaning and their effect on the people listening. My language, my choice. PLU is asking us to go deep on words like anti-racist or decolonize, and to think about what those words truly mean. Then, once you understand them, Let's talk about how you can put words into action. What can you do to live up to the word anti-racist? How can you decolonize your entertainment or even how you introduce yourself? These are big questions. To get ideas on how to answer them and to find questions about other important words, visit plu.edu slash words mean things to learn more. My sincere thanks to Pacific Lutheran University for sponsoring Channel 253 and for doing exactly what universities should be doing right now with this campaign. Hi, we're back. Before uh, Joe and I start talking about Pierce County Council, let me just say, if you are not a Channel 253 member, now would be a great time to join. Membership is very affordable. It's $4 a month or $40 a year. And you get access to, you know, all of our information, plus a couple of member-specific deals like Doug's Off the Record podcast. Um, Plus, you'll be supporting something that I think is really important, maybe now more than ever, as we say. uh, And that is um, just dialogues and discussions with people that are open-framed. You get a lot of information, a lot of different perspectives, things that the news media really... um, can't cover within their within their smaller frameworks of articles and um, and uh, radio slots. So I think uh, we are a valuable addition to our local community, and I hope you will join in supporting Channel Two Five Three. But now let's talk. So we've been talking about kind of this Republicans, Democrats. Maybe it's not even. Maybe it's sort of anti-government um, people who are comfortable with government. And we see this playing out in our local county politics too. Um, last week, I talked with um, Derek Young, uh, Pierce County Council member, about this ordinance that has been put forward by the, um, frankly, by the Republican members of the Pierce County Council to um, 
effectively break up the Tacoma Pierce County Health Department, a health department that has been in existence um, since 1972, so almost 50 years, 48 years. And um, the reasons that have been given for it are seem to be a little bit more like the county would like to have more direct control over things. Um, maybe it's because the county would like to see more uh, resources devoted to issuing permits for septic systems and things so that places outside of um, the developed parts of the county can develop more quickly. Um, but what it really is, is a power shift, a shift from a joint um, organization that uh, allows not just Tacoma, but also um, other cities and the medical community to all have a seat at the table together to work through problems, to go from that multifactored um, governing approach to a county top-down, the executive decides who the um, head of the department will be, and everyone is a county employee who reports uh, and is subject to um, the county's control. Uh, the uh, proposed ordinance uh, came up uh, a week and a half ago. It went to the Rules Committee on Monday, December 7th, and even though there were um, enormous amounts of comment uh, filed, enormous amounts of negative uh, comments, especially by the medical community filed, um, the Rules Committee moved it forward. It will be on the agenda next Tuesday for the Pierce County Council meeting. Um, there will be public comment, but um, people need to um, contact people. They need to be paying attention to this. The actual, let me just see what the, the actual ordinance is. The last thing on the agenda is ordinance, proposed ordinance 2020-136S says uh, an ordinance of the Pierce County Council establishing a County Board of Health and Department of Public Health, terminating the agreement creating a combined county city health department known as the Tacoma Pierce County Health Department upon a date certain. And then, you know, amending the Pierce County Code, um, directing the clerk to take certain actions, requesting the executive take preliminary or transitional steps necessary to implement this ordinance, um, including forwarding draft legislation to create an executive department to manage administrative functions of the health board. Um, so it's, it's moving forward and um, there's a lot of concern as two things. One, there's a lot of concern that this is turning uh, our health department more political. And the second concern, I would say the more important concern is that some of these issues may be quite valid. Maybe, it may be, um, it, I think it's always a good time to take a review of how a government entity is operating and see if there can be some efficiencies or, or improvements. That time's not now. We have a raging coronavirus cases in Pierce County. We had 722 new cases identified, reported yesterday. And we need our, our um, public health people to be focused on the current matter and not on uh, these political games that are being played. But well, uh, Joe, thoughts on it, this? It's kind of difficult not to view it as a political grab since the, uh, the majority of the council will shift from Republican to Democrat in uh, January. So this is kind of the last moment that they could possibly put this through. The thing that's remained a bit murky and mysterious about this whole thing is why now 
um, you know, these issues could have been discussed at any time. I suppose the why now, to some degree, could be answered by the fact that it wasn't necessarily anticipated that the Republicans would lose the majority on the county council, as happened after the November 3rd election, with Jamie Hitchin having one election to the seat that's currently held by Richardson that tips the balance of the county Democratic. I don't know that that was necessarily expected four, five, eight months ago. Frankly, I don't think I would have expected that seat to turn Democratic four, five, or eight months ago. So I think it may simply be a, a, the political reality that the Republicans didn't expect to lose the majority. They are losing the majority. And if they don't do it now, this just isn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. I and agree. that too, you know, brings you back to yes, this is politics. It's it's mm-hmm. not substance. Well, and I would say it brings it back to this is politics um, that are that are sort of nasty politics because the agreement says that the county or the city, either side which may decide to leave the arrangement, you know, will notify the other of their intent to leave. But Pierce County didn't notify the mayor or the Board of Health that they were contemplating making some changes or or proposing an ordinance. They just proposed the ordinance. So the mayor learned about this. The mayor of Tacoma learned about this, just like everyone else did, um, from Twitter and from the newspaper. And that's a level of um, disrespect that we hadn't generally seen in the past. In the past, uh, Pierce County and and City of Tacoma have had a very uh, reasonably cordial relationship and certainly a cordial relationship between the executives. Yeah, and I I think that uh, I would fold one other factor into this as well. One thing that's surprising is that this came from, uh, from Doug Richardson, who has typically, you know, taken a gentlemanly approach to political issues has typically not been somebody who blindsides the opposition with things who is open to discussion and uh yet this this proposal came from richardson not from somebody else even though it's sort of pam roach the the other member of the rules committee who really drew most of the uh, the fire mm-hmm. well i think they're allowing uh um Roach to sort of be the front person to draw the attack. Yeah, but well, she's, and, and that's, that, that's a role she's very comfortable with. Yeah, but it's not, it's not, she's not the one pulling the strings behind the scenes. No, and she's not even the proponent of, of the bill. No. And I, I am personally convinced that um, this would not have moved forward without the absolute blessing, if not the pushing, of the county executive. Because well, he certainly the, hasn't said anything against it. He's not said anything against it. He said, let the system, let, let the process play itself out. But, the, you know, here's how this really works behind the scenes. I mean, not just at the county or at the city or at the, you see to the state level, too. Nobody wants to put the executive in a position where he or she has egg on their face. So let's say take it at a state agency. If a state agency is thinking of doing something that's going to be a sea change, you run up past the governor's office first and you say, you know, we're looking at this. Here's what we're doing. You might even have to provide some write-up of, you know, here are the pros and cons and here's what we're doing. Things You don't do things 
steps at the last minute. And you sure don't do them without giving your executive a heads up because the last thing you want is to embarrass that person and have that person, like the mayor was, contacted by media and have that person say, I, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, you don't do it. And certainly a professional like Doug, Doug Richardson doesn't do that. So I am personally convinced that the executive knew all about this, was well-informed, and probably gave a nod to, yeah, go ahead and go forward. Because if he, he certainly, if he had said, are you kidding me? You know, do not do this to me. Do not move forward during a pandemic to, you know, sort of restructure the entire health department. If he had said that, we never would have seen this ordinance. Well, and, you know, again, it, it's kind of hard to see based on past behavior, um, Richardson pulling something this provocative without notice and discussion and, you know, just a general heads up that something like this is coming down. Um, well, and it, and it would be I, very... I suspect that there's some, there are other things going on behind the scenes that we have not been let in on so far. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, even granted the political shift that's about to occur on the council, this is a terrible time to be making changes, you know, in your local health department when we are just at the beginning of a mass vaccination program, uh, you know, to try to get the pandemic that we've been dealing with for the last nine months under control. And now you want to destabilize everything and, and just throw everything up into the air. This is just, you just about couldn't find a worse time to do this. I agree. I agree. Politically, practically, you know, just on any level. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens. Um, one of the things that I keep thinking about, um, you know, I'm not really in a position to raise this issue up, but um, I think that the governor could, under his emergency powers, put out um, a um, executive order saying that for the next 30 days, there will not be any changes to uh, structural governance of any county or local health department. Uh, because this is in the middle of a pandemic, because we have rising caseloads, because we are about to roll out a vaccine, um, the state is not in, it would not benefit from any disruption to the public health services. So any proposed changes are on hold for 30 days. Uh, Governor can issue an executive order that has a 30-day limit on it. And then after 30 days, it either comes to an end or it has to be renewed by the four leadership um, positions in the legislature, the Speaker of the House, House Minority Leader, um, Senate Leader, and Senate Minority Leader. Um, So I don't know that that will happen. I don't know that anyone is talking about it, but that occurs to me that that is another piece that could be put into play on the chessboard. We'll see. We will see. Because I'm not sure, since technically I guess the vote would only, the vote would trigger the notice of intent to dissolve um, the interlocal agreement under which the health department has operated. And since a year's notice is required, changes aren't 
to even begin taking effect until, you know, December, whatever of 2021. Mm -hmm. I mean, I suspect that one way or another, unless somebody, you know, presumably the executive blinks, I suspect they're going to get their changes. Yeah. But, you know, I don't I don't know that he is going to blink because uh, the comments from what I've heard of are running, you know, almost unanimously against this by by medical professionals and, uh, you know, political individuals as well. But it still keeps moving forward. Yeah. Well, this this doesn't have anything to do with, you know, effective medicine or public health. You you have a um, executive who he's term limited after after this next term. So, I mean, I don't know if that factors in. I I would assume that he has other um, political races that he plans to run in the future. So if if it were me, I wouldn't want to be labeled as the person who tried to dismantle the public health department uh, in the middle of a pandemic. But I don't know. I don't know, you know, as we've been talking about this deep-seated hot lava flow of anger that runs underneath everything, I don't know how to factor that. I don't know. Things that I think of that would be a negative, are they really a negative or are things changing so that outrageous actions might in the future be seen as uh, uh, something to campaign upon? Yeah, I I don't suspect there's too much downside here for Damire among, you know, the county Republican base. I suspect that the downside is, you know, swing votes in the middle and Democrats who probably aren't going to support him down the line anyway. So I'm not sure that politically there's, there's too much downside here for, uh, for Damire going forward. Um, but again, I, I'm, I'm left with the suspicion that there's something going on behind the scenes that, that we don't know about. I mean, if there have been problems with the health department, there have been ample time to air them and discuss them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we haven't heard anything about that. In fact, uh, when this whole thing came up, I mean, all I could think was, you know, in, in 20-some years of living in Pierce County, I don't think I have ever ever had any interaction of even the slightest sort with the Tacoma Pierce County Health Department. In fact, the only time I can ever remember even being on health department property was going to a city of Tacoma meeting about homelessness for which they borrowed the health department auditorium. I don't think I've ever been at the health department other than for that meeting. And, you know, my suspicion is that most everybody else in the county has had no real first-person interaction with the health department. Push come to shove, I'm not even sure I could tell you all of what the health department actually does, let alone whether it does it well or not. I've certainly never heard that they don't, but I don't know. Well, it's... It's interesting, you know, they have a really broad brief. I mean, they they do all of the health inspections for restaurants, yep. um, all of the, you know, pandemic or flu season or measles or all of the things, you know, yep. that need sort of some public health overview. Um, certainly, um, so, um, 
sexually transmitted diseases. Um, but you know, if you want to make a change yeah. like this and you don't want it to be controversial, if there are problems, you start to put them out there. Right. Yeah, because otherwise you've got people like me thinking, well, you know, since I never hear anything about the health department, must be working pretty well. Yeah. Well, I think that goes to your issue of um, prior to the election, there doesn't seem to have been much energy around on that it was anti-health department. No, I, I think they, they, they realized on, you know, November 6th or whenever the, the votes were really firming up that the, it's now or never. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, anything else uh, you want to talk about before we end today, Joe? No, I, I think I've depressed enough as, as <laughs> go right now. Well, I mean, that's the thing is this, it is depressing. Uh, I'll say this. I think it's better to know that there is this, you know, hot stream of anger. It's better to know it's there. It's better to not come up with easy explanations for this um, because it's something that we're going to need to deal with. I don't know that we don't, it's, it's like, when, what does that mean when I say we're going to need to deal with it? It does not mean placate people who are anti-government or, uh, you know, racist or, you know, have other issues that they're, that they're, you know, focused on. It doesn't mean make your policies less fair, less equal, less progressive, because you're not going to make those individuals happy anyway. But it is important to try to identify, you know, what is going on that is causing that hot lava stream of anger. And it, it may just be that, you know, we have been in a very um, difficult transition period of sort of modernizing the country, you know, old industries ending, new industries requiring more education, more training. You know, maybe we're just seeing that. Maybe we're seeing the fact that, you know, we're in a process of transitioning away from a white majority country into a non-white majority country that should happen over the next 20 years. And that causes people anxiety or unhappiness. Maybe it's something else, but I do think that's something that we need to be thinking about. Uh, Not catering to, but thinking about because people who are angry and unhappy are going to stay angry and unhappy They are giving money to candidates who really are not in the best position to be effective political leaders. And they're showing up at local offices with bombs. So you can't just say, ignore it, it'll go away. It's not going away. Now, what I take over the last few months is that this is just going to continue. It's been escalating and it it will continue to march along. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that's it for this uh, episode of Crossing Division. If you have thoughts that you'd like to share or ideas for future episodes, please go ahead and get in touch with me. You can email me, truetacoma at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at true underscore Tacoma. Thanks, Joe. Okay, thank you. Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows.
Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.